welcome back nerd suit and system upgrades are ready to install initiating sequence now accessing a new year of horror video games movies tv and more updating rumors and speculation software filtering spoilers for maximum quality and of course adding a new badass rockabilly track welcome to ans protocol 5.0 and welcome back to the amazing nerd show Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, welcome to another very special episode of The Amazing Nerd Show. This week, instead of our usual format, we're going to be previewing over 20 of our most anticipated films of 2022. But, Star Wars fans, don't fret. We're still going to be discussing and breaking down episode 2 and 3 of Book of Boba Fett. But before we jump into it, just a quick reminder, make sure to go visit AmazingNerdShow.com, our new website, which will serve as your nerd hub for all things pop culture. Plus, don't forget the Amazing Nerd Show is also coming to Patreon sometime in late winter. Uh, we've got some extra cool bonus content coming for you guys. Plus, if there's any suggestions of what you would like to hear from us, let us know on social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms. Let us know your personal wish list for the show. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. All right, Christian, let's go ahead and head off to a galaxy far, far away and talk some Book of Boba Fett. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett series ahead. You have been warned. It's empty. Assassin of the Night Wind. All right, so last week was our year in review, so we didn't have a chance to break down episode two. Uh, we're not going to go ahead and do a full breakdown, though, this episode. We're just going to go ahead and do a brief recap and kind of give our, like, final thoughts on the episode. And then for chapter three, we'll go ahead and do our full-on breakdown. All right, so episode two starts off in the series' current day. Uh, we've got Boba and Finnick interrogating the assassin uh, back at Jabba's palace. Uh, they go ahead and drop him in the Rancor pit after he won't talk, scaring the shit out of him. Uh, he goes ahead and confesses that it was the mayor of Mos Espa behind the attack. Uh, they go ahead and bring him back to the mayor, uh, who definitely doesn't want to see Boba at all, but Boba's not having any of it. He forces his entry. Uh, the mayor has the assassin assassinated right in front of them. Um, and then he claims he wasn't the one behind the attack. Then he sends them off to the sanctuary to get answers from Fwip. When they get to the bar, Boba right away can tell things are quite different. Fwip is surprised that Boba hasn't heard the news, and in the background we hear the sounding of the drums. Boba goes outside and he's greeted by the twins, which was an amazing reveal, but to top things off, they also have the Wookiee bounty hunter, Black Chrysanthemum, by their side. I mean, the Huts sure know how to make an entrance. I don't know if they're using any of the, you know, comic book lore of Black Chrysanthemum or not, because I mean, when we did first see him, he was there with Boba Fett. And I don't know if they're, they didn't feel like they had history when they met, at least here in the episode. 
No, that's a good point because it you're right. It didn't feel like there was any kind of like acknowledgement of like a prior relationship between the two. So I'm not sure. But here we have the Huts trying to lay claim uh, to Jabba's territory, uh, Mosespa. Fett is refusing to back down. And the twins basically say, watch your back. While Boba and Finnick are walking off, Finnick mentions that Boba cannot kill them without getting permission. Who do you think they're referring to, Christian? I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I know that there is a hut council, but I don't know why he would answer to them necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he would answer to like a Crimson Dawn syndicate either. So I don't I don't know how this you know works just yet. But maybe it's more of a case of them not wanting to deal with the repercussions like that will bring mm -hmm. down, you know, the wrath, you know, of the hut council or Crimson Dawn for that matter. So next we see Fett get back in the back to tank uh, and a flashback ensues. Christian, I'm wondering if they're going to explain why he needs to be in the back to tank like multiple times a day. They haven't even like alluded to what like injuries he might be having that would cause him to need to be in it every single night. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing we'll get some kind of answers by the end of this season. Um, you know, maybe it's something that happens in the past because in these flashbacks, he's obviously scarred and beat up. But mm. he seems to be okay, right? <laughs> well, yeah, he came back from the brink of death pretty yeah. much in this Tuscan Raider camp. So. Because what we see next is Fat basically becoming the enforcer of, you know, the Tuscan Raider tribe uh, once they're attacked by the Pikes in that weird, you know, desert train. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they basically do a drive-by on the Tuscan Raiders, taking them out, taking a bunch of them out at least. Uh, and then, you know, later on at night, we see Fat head over to what could be the Tashi station. We're not quite sure. Um, there is like two deep cut characters there, though. Luke's friends from a deleted scene in A New Hope, uh, which I think is actually you could see the scene on uh, Disney Plus right now. And Boba's basically able to take out the entire Nikto gang like, you know, by himself and steal all of their speeder bikes. <laughs> he brings it back to the, you know, Tusken Raiders. He teaches them all to ride them uh, so they can basically pull off a, a, a giant train heist in the middle of the desert. Uh, I thought this scene was amazing and a really great like action set piece that we didn't get in the first episode. Once they're able to stop the train, uh, you know, Fat lays down the law to the pikes. Uh, basically saying that they're going to have to pay a toll for passage and that, you know, this area belongs to the Tusken Raiders. That night afterwards, we have the Tusken Raider chief uh, initiate Fett into the tribe. Uh, he sends him on a weird vision quest by, like, having a lizard jump into his nose. It's pretty fucking trippy. <laughs> fucking crazy. I would hate that. I hated that moment seeing the lizard fly up his nose. Yeah, no, uh. I definitely, I definitely clutched my nose quickly. My uh. eyes started watering. <laughs> He's seen all different kinds of visions from his past. He ends up coming back to the tribe uh, with the branch he got from a tree. Uh, he makes an offering of the branch to the chief. And then the chief sends him off to get his very own Tusken Raider robes. And he gets to make his own gaffy stick out of the branch that he brought back. So, Christian, how hard did you get during this scene? 
nearly exploded, Damon. <laughs> I mean, we finally got a weapon crafting scene in Star Wars. Like, how hard would it have been to see that with a lightsaber? This is all I've been asking for. Maybe, and they give it to me with a gaffy stick. Maybe they heard your complaints after um, Rise of Skywalker. You know, uh-huh. you're not getting to see Rey make her lightsaber. Um, and they decide to reward you here. That's, I mean, it was the least that they could have done, right? Yes. <laughs> but this episode ends then with uh, Fat and the tribe's warrior performing some sort of like ceremonial gaffy stick dance uh, with the rest of the tribe around a fire. I mean, if this one didn't hook you, uh, you probably won't like the rest of the series. I feel like this is like the actual essence of what they're trying to go for. I think this episode encapsulates all of that. So, I, I mean, because there was tons of people online complaining about that first episode being too slow. And I thought the action in this one really just, you know, picked it all up and really gave you the story of what we're going to be doing from going forward. Because I think it's pretty clear the path after this episode. No, I, I agree 100 percent. Like, I thought this was a fantastic episode. I mean, it's part like dancing with wolves and uh-huh. definitely part Dune, <laughs> but it still manages to feel like 100 percent Star Wars, which is important. Yes. I mean, they went ahead and they humanized the Tusken Raiders, uh, gave them a great backstory, which really allows you to connect with them. Uh, and just watching like Boba being accepted into the tribe and like how fiercely loyal the character he is just mm. added another layer to him that I felt like he desperately needed. Um, you know, it's something that's part of the character in the books and the comics that we've gotten in the past, but, you know, this is the first time seeing it on screen, obviously. I mean, he's a man of, you know, pretty high moral fiber. No, and as we always say, it's not real until it's been on screen for Star Wars, so. Although I do have to give them credit for all, like, the deep cuts that they're throwing mm-hmm. in like as Easter eggs here, like them bringing a lot of like old concept art to life, um, w- just with the look of the show and different characters. I mean, just the addition of uh, Luke's friends and possibly the Tashi station, like that was amazing. Because at first, like, even though I didn't know exactly who they were, I knew that they were probably somebody just because of all the Easter eggs and the attention to details that Filoni and Favreau had in The Mandalorian. Also, the addition of Black Kersantan, uh, you know, who's from the comic books, you know, a recent comic, not even like that long ago. I think it was like 20, yeah. 2014, 2015. Yeah, it's around there when uh, he meets uh, Dr. Afra and all that good stuff. Right. It was in uh, Vader's book, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the fact that they're like, you know, picking and choosing and pulling out, you know, different, you know, lore from, you know, throughout the history of Star Wars is pretty fantastic. Feels like it leads to like tons of other like possibilities and really has like fans buzzing because a lot of fans are expecting now to see like Dr. Afro somewhere like down the line. But anyway, let's go ahead and do a full fledged breakdown of chapter three The Streets of Mos Espa. <laughs> Hard feelings. It's just business. Take it from an ex-bounty hunter. Don't work for skug holes. 
So we kick off episode 3 at the palace with 88 explaining to Boba what happened after the death of Jabba. We learn of Bib Fortuna's rise as he split, you know, the power of Mos Espa amongst three powerful families, along with finding out that Bib had been paying off the mayor as well. Yeah, this show definitely loves to dip its toe in different genres. I mean, last episode was a straight western, and now this episode felt like, you know, a Godfather movie, if you will. Fennec and Boba Fett are able to deduce that the mayor didn't not have the power to call upon the assassins from the first episode, and that it had to have been the Huts all along. But before further plans can be made, Lortha Peel, who represents and manages the moisture farmers in the worker district, stops by to get aid from his new Daimo. Lortha attempts to appeal to Boba's honor, stating that it's appalling how people aren't respecting Boba's rule, and brings up that there is a gang of cyborg-like young adults obsessed with upgrading their bodies that are stealing inventory from him, in which Lortha promises to double his tribute to him if Boba is able to deal with the thieves. Yes, and just like a young Michael Corleone, you know, it feels like when they're in present day in this series, it's really about Boba gaining the respect of the other families and you know it's really about boba gaining the respect of the families and establishing himself as the crime boss you know of mozespa but my guess is by like season end we're going to probably see the more vicious side of boba past and present that that's very true <laughs> and i'm here for it Boba Fett is quick to intercept the troubled youths, and they tell a different story as to why they are stealing from the water merchants. While there are a lack of jobs, the water merchants are still upselling their precious resource for ridiculous prices. This colorful group of kids impress Boba by standing up to him, and instead of punishing them for their insolent behavior, Boba enlists them to work amongst his crew. Much to Lorth appeals dismay, though Boba simply states, if you don't like it, move to Mos Eisley. And then he tells him to lower his damn prices, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like, because he came from a planet where it's surrounded by water, he's just like, it's water, guys. Yeah, Come on. get over it. <laughs> <laughs> So I was less than impressed with this gang. Like, it, it really felt like, you know, some studio exec, like, caught, like, wind of the whole cyberpunk buzz that was happening last year and was like, hey, we got to have characters like this in our show. Um, like, it was just some, like, show note that, like, Filoni and crew were forced to, like, run with. Um, it just it didn't feel like they fit in this universe mm -hmm. at all. I mean, maybe in, like, the prequels, like, you know, on one of the different planets, but here in, like, Mos Espa, they just kind of, like, stand out like a sore thumb to me. Yeah, there's something weird about their character design where it just doesn't feel like it's baked into that tattooing look that we see from most of the characters. Like, yeah, as you said, I could totally picture them riding around in Coruscant like the dealing, way that they are. Like dealing death sticks or something, right? Yeah, shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> But here, it just felt like I was looking at weird CW cyborgs yes. in Star Wars. Yes. So, And they're like costuming, like had this weird like steampunk flavor to it too. I don't know. It just felt really generic to me. I mean, hopefully we get to like know them throughout this season and we learn to love them because right now, I don't know. <laughs> also, like their bikes are painted like Cadillacs, it feels like, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> so, I mean, they're just all over the place. I don't, I don't get it. 
Boba having returned to the Bacta tank experiences another dream of his past, again showing him reaching out to his father on Kamino as Django flies off with Slave One. Is this a brand new scene that they shot or is this like from a deleted scene? No, yeah, it's a brand new scene that they shot for this. You know, they use CGI to, you know, recapture that kid's face as you, you know, see in the reflection, but that's about Got it. Got it. We also then pick up back to where we were in episode two, as we see Boba ride out from the writer's camp dressed in his black garb to meet up with the Pike Syndicate. And actually funny enough, during this scene, we get a small cameo from Polly Motto in the background as she walks through the streets of Mos Espa with her three pit droids that helped fix Mando's ship during the Mandalorian. I thought it was also cool that we saw someone like taking like stormtrooper helmets and putting them on the spikes. Uh, you know, a visual that we got a lot in Mandalorian. Um, mm -hmm. I'm guessing this must be like right after Return of the Jedi, like after the Empire just fallen, um, you know, like maybe just like a couple of years before like the Mandalorian takes place. Yeah, it's it's cool. These little moments that they're putting in that allow us to establish where we are in the exactly timeline. when Boba meets with the Pikes. It seems that there is a snag in his plan for the Pikes to pay for the Tusken Raiders protection. As it turns out that there is another gang named the Kintan Striders who already collect protection money from the Pikes. And, you know, leadership is unwilling to pay for these two different groups to protect them. Of course, these being the same gang that Boba has already dealt with in the previous episode during the bar scene, Boba agrees to just take care of them to solidify their deal, but unfortunately upon returning to the Tusken Raider camp, we find out that the Kintan Striders attacked first, wiping out the entirety of the Raiders that took Boba in. So now, while we definitely saw this coming from like the start of the series, um, I really didn't like how they handled the scene. I, I don't know if I just was expecting it to be more dramatic. Um, it just didn't like carry the emotional weight that I was expecting. It just, if for me, it was his reaction where it felt like, you know, he's just accepting the fate of his tribe now just dead mm -hmm. instead of him like kind of raging against it a little bit. You know, he, he just seems like, okay, you know, I expected this type of reaction to it. Yeah. And I think we're obviously probably going to see that rage in the mm -hmm. next episode. Um, but yeah, this like kind of like stoic just kind of threw me off, but I guess that's very much in character, you know, for Boba. I did like the touch of like the last thing he puts on the funeral pyre being, uh, the child's, uh, staff, um, because I I'm guessing they probably chose not to show like a dead child, on, <laughs> uh -huh. on Disney plus, uh, which I, I understand, I guess. I mean, I guess if you really have an itch to see some dead younglings, you can just watch, you know, Revenge of the Sith, which I'm sure Christian oh, yeah. watches that scene over and over again. You <laughs> sick. I mean, he does it fuck. so smoothly. And <laughs> <laughs> that hologram, he's just like, Woo! Uh -huh. <laughs> what a bastard. I just need to see Fett go full like bounty hunter mode and, you know, rain down the wrath of God on, you know, the Striders. Kind of like what we got when he suited up for the first time in The Mandalorian with all the stormtroopers. Or even right before that, when he was still in his black garb and just pummeling people with the gaffy yes. stick. I feel like that's what we need. Yes. I mean, that's the only way this all kind of like pays off for me. Um, but did you notice, though, we don't see uh, the tribe warrior among the dead. So I'm wondering oh, okay. if they escape. Yeah, because I was hoping that they like survived that scene and maybe will show up later on for a big fight scene for them. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen, man. Or even if she ends up like joining up with him like in present day, you know, to help him fight oh, his okay. gang war. 
Boba back in the present timeline is rudely awakened by an assault from Black Chrysanthemum, the Wookiee warrior working for the Hutt twins. Chrysanthemum nearly murders Boba Fett by crushing him to death, but our cyborg friends decide to show up and save the day, blindsiding Chrysanthemum. The fight would take all of Boba's team to stop Chrysanthemum, though it would be Fennec who traps the Wookiee warrior in the Rancor pit after he mistakenly walks over the infamous trapdoor. I thought this scene was pretty cool. I don't know if I need to see like Boba in a diaper fighting anyone though, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I get it, he was just in the back to tank and everything. So he was definitely caught off guard. Um, I was actually kind of disappointed though. Like I, when the uh, cyberpunk gang like showed up, I was expecting to see the Wookiee like tearing off arms and shit, right? It would make sense since they're part like cyborg, like they can lose a limb yeah, in this fight. Yeah, I was just fight, assuming you know? that was gonna be a thing. Like I, uh -huh. I or they could have had um, him like tearing off their actual limbs, right? So they have a well, reason yes. to be getting these cyborg <laughs> parts. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking Star Wars, right? People are getting amputated all the time. I want blood, Christian. <laughs> I, I can tell. <laughs> My question is, is how did a like eight foot Wookiee sneak into Jabba's palace there? <laughs> He's a trained assassin, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, who are these fucking kids guarding the palace, though? <laughs> True. Like, I understand, like, Boba needs to add soldiers to his army, basically. Mm -hmm. But, like, you would expect him to, like, check their credentials. Like, you got to prove to me that you could throw down. Oh, man, they had spunk. That's all you need. I guess. Added bad costumes. Boba the next day is given a feast worthy of the size of a hut, but he can't focus on eating. No, he's worried about what his next move should be as the pressure of being a Daimo starts to settle in a bit. Fennec, on the other hand, is way less worried, believing that they should just wait for the huts to respond after the failure of their second assassination attempt. Once again, Fennec being the shrewd voice of reason here. Mm -hmm. She seems to be shaping up to be his concierge, really. Fennec is quickly proven right in this discussion as the Hut twins make a sudden arrival at the palace. The twins nonchalantly apologize for their murderous intent and surprise Boba with a gift of a young Rancor and Rancor trainer played by the incomparable Danny Trejo. Christian, are we finally getting Space Machete? Not just are yet, Are all our but... dreams coming true? <laughs> <laughs> Because when we if he joins the crew, because when we heard that Rodriguez was directing, you know, a bunch of episodes this season, we we're like, uh -huh. oh my god, space machete, you know what's happening, and <laughs> so I totally popped when he showed up on screen, especially towing a fucking raincore. Boba Fett makes it clear to the Huts that if they were to leave Tatooine, he would consider a truce, but the twins reply that they are already intending to leave due to a lie that they have uncovered by the mayor. Apparently, the land of Mos Espa has already been promised to another crime syndicate, and the Huts are looking to avoid going to war. When Boba offers to return Chrysanthemum to the twins, they offer his services as tribute instead, and also warn him that he should leave Mos Espa altogether. And as the Huts leave, Boba surprises Chrysanthemum by releasing him, offering up the sage advice of not working with Skugholes. Though I am kind of disappointed he didn't try to add Chrysanthemum to his team, as it's still pretty much a small group of guys. This is absolutely the Huts working both sides here to get what they want. Mm -hmm. There's no way that they're just backing down this easily. While I'm sure there's some truth to what they're saying, they're definitely trying to manipulate the situation. Uh, now, what crime syndicate do you think they're talking about? Because right away, I start thinking that it was Crimson Dawn, but then we see the Pikes later on. But I mean, I guess it could be Crimson Dawn like backing the Pikes, right? 
I mean, the main reason I feel like they're only just meaning the Pikes is because every time they bring up the Pikes by name, they say the Pike Syndicate. So I'm wondering if that's just, you know, they're just making it seem like it's only the Pikes showing up. But it could be Crimson Dawn, like a bigger, like maybe they're overseeing it and controlling the Pikes, you know, coming into this area. That's what I kind of suspect. And maybe we don't get Crimson Dawn to like the last episode or, you know, we find out you know, at the end, that it was really them backing the Pikes. As Fennec goes to arrange a meeting with the mayor, Boba gets to know his new Rancor. Danny Trejo would go on to teach us a lot about these lovable, misunderstood creatures and how they're basically the Star Wars equivalent to pit bulls. And like a dog mom, Boba instantly falls in love. Upon learning more history of the Rancors, we find out that the witches of Dothamir used to ride them, which are four sensitive beings from the same homeworld as Darth Maul. Boba, infatuated by this new Rancor, immediately wants to learn how to ride them as well after learning this. This scene was adorable, Christian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what got me really excited, though, was now you know, in that final episode this season, we're going to see Bobo riding a fucking Rancor. Yes. <laughs> and that's just the, that's how he's going to get his fucking respect. I mean, just the childlike wonder in Boba Fett's eyes, the you know, the moment he's learning all this stuff. Absolutely amazing. He's, he's a pet lover, man. <laughs> We're absolutely going to see that Rancor eat uh, the major domo. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a handful of pikes, but that major domo, he's going to eat it. I'm just like imagining like Boba Fett like sending out Christmas cards of him in like the Rancor and like matching sweaters. <laughs> How amazing would that be? <laughs> Maybe it's Boba trying to put a like star on top of the tree using the Rancor. Uh, right. <laughs> Everyone has those friends who like don't have kids, so it's always like them and their pets. So I mean, uh -huh. I'm guessing that's gonna be the case here, right? Uh, poor Fennec having to take those photos. Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> She'll be in the background scowling. <laughs> We've got people to kill, goddammit. AT8 would go on to interrupt this touching moment as he reports Fennec's findings of the mayor being unavailable for 20 days, which prompts Boba to leave immediately. Fennec and Boba, followed by the world's most colorful 50-style cyborg biker gang, arrive at the mayor's office. Greeted as always by the Major Domo, Fennec proceeds to threaten his life if they don't get in to see the mayor. The Major Domo then fakes going to tell the mayor about their arrival and swiftly escapes on a land speeder with Boba telling his bikers to chase him down. This is, this is a horrible plan by the Major Domo. Yeah. Like, why would he think this is going to work? <laughs> It's immediately noticeable that the door locks, uh -huh. you know, it's <laughs> and he just makes a run for it. You would think like with the mayor being as corrupt as he is, like he would have a bigger like entourage around him like mm -hmm. to deal with this kind of stuff. I feel like it would have been safer for the major Domo just to be like, he's literally not here and just show him. Yeah, that right. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe he thought he was going to have to answer questions then again. Um, as far as the chase went, it didn't work too well for me. I don't know. The practical effects uses that they were doing there made the chase just feel super slow moving. And I could really feel like the, the like rails that they were on while they were doing it. Just I don't know. I didn't like it one bit. <laughs> um, it felt really low budget. And I, uh -huh. I understand they're trying to probably pay homage to, like you said, like those classic 50s like chase scenes. And it really felt like Back to the Future 2 to me. I mean, especially way, uh -huh. the way the chase ends. <laughs> um, I literally laughed, though, when Boba like just dropped out of the sky at the end of the scene. 
Like, I was like, why, where were you during this? Uh-huh. Why didn't you just take the, you know, the land speeder out with the wrist rocket or something? Or just drop down, you know, and sit shotgun with the dude, you know, and take him out. So I, something was just off about the scene overall. I, I agree with No, that. it was weird that they didn't do an establishing shot showing him just in the air. Maybe like even just tracking the land speeder. That's, I don't it know. It just felt like a budget thing to me. Almost yeah. like <laughs> I'm wondering if you know Disney Plus just gave them a tighter budget than what The Mandalorian has going on. Because I mean, this whole season is definitely staying on Tatooine for sure. But you gotta imagine they're gonna get their money back by you know Black Series figures of all that biker game. Oh yeah, you know they're all gonna have their own bike. They're gonna and make half their money back from me alone. <laughs> <laughs> You know I'm getting that fucking Wookiee bounty hunter, damn it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and every other character. Probably even the cyborg punks. <laughs> uh-huh. Upon catching the Major Domo, it doesn't take long for him to squeal that the mayor is working with the pikes. And before our episode can end, we get the arrival of 20 or so pikes to Mos Espa, which leads Boba and Fennec to acknowledge that a war is coming. So yeah, I mean, this was definitely a, a bridge episode. Uh, just kind of setting up the oncoming gang war. Uh, but at the same time, something was just off, man. Like, I don't know if it is like the pacing of this episode or the editing. Uh, I can't put my finger on it. Uh, you know, was it just the cyberpunks? I don't know. But I was also really disappointed on how they handled the execution of the uh, Tuscan Raider tribe, especially after we spent so much time with them the first two episodes. That's why this, I don't know, this chapter felt like the weakest of the three so far. Like we saw some cool shit, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like I'm all for a fucking bounty hunter Wookiee, like, and a fucking Rancor, uh, and you know, machete in space, but... <laughs> Even those elements weren't enough to, like, make me love this. No, it definitely could be a pacing issue where it's just like, because that moment felt so short and rushed with the the actual death of the Tusken Raiders. And, you know, in comparison, especially when you think about last episode where we got such a long, it was half of the episode where he spent with that tribe and stuff like that. So I'm guessing they're thinking, you know, hey, we spent all this time, these past two episodes, building them up. But... I, I don't know. I, I feel like they needed to spend a little bit more time establishing, you know, his feelings for the tribe in this episode, at least. Because I think there was at least a little bit of space to do that, especially if they're not going to focus on the kids that he just brought in and not going to give us any story with, with them. It just felt like they either needed to go more with the present day and focus on some of these new characters, or they needed to show more of what was going on during that past time. I don't know if it's just too much going on at this point because they want to move everything yeah, into the next chapter. Yeah, everything felt really though. rushed, right? We didn't even get them, like, establishing mm-hmm. who these, like, cyberpunk kids are. Like, there was no conversation between, exactly. you know, them and Boba. Like, I was expecting some kind of conversation, at least between, like, Boba and the leader um, uh, when they got back to the palace, but that didn't even happen. Like, give us some kind of backstory. Give me a reason to even care about these characters because right now they're just kind of, like, faceless thugs, you know, who work for Boba. I mean, it was an interesting lead in with like, oh, you know, we're getting screwed over by the crime syndicates and stuff like that and the different families that are here. And I thought, OK, maybe we can get even more world building with these characters. But yeah, they, they don't go into anything. Yeah, after like, that I like moment, the whole so. idea of like Bib Fortuna having to work with different families to fill Jabba's void. And now that, you know, 
Boba's executed him, there's this kind of like power vacuum happening. I'm looking forward to seeing that all play out. But at the same time, I just wish they would have let that story breathe a little. But like I said before, I'm sure, like getting back to the Tusken Raiders, that we're going to see, you know, Fett on just the warpath next episode when they, you know, when he gets back in the back to tank. But getting back to, you know, the Tusken Raiders, I'm guessing that whole scene is going to get rectified once we see, like, Fett on the warpath. Just in a murderous rage, you know, killing all those fucking whatever the hell they call that gang again. <laughs> Generic space biker gang. Yes. <laughs> the, the something Striders, whatever. Yeah, Striders, whatever. <laughs> there was actually a small moment that almost bothered me by the attack from Chrysanthemum, but just because of the subtitles. Because the subtitles made it seem like Boba Fett's bones are literally getting destroyed in this attack, and then he just gets back up and is able to fight later on. Well, I think you do hear his, like, back cracking, yeah. too, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, is he about to die? Because it looked like he was about to pass out also. But my guess is that was just another moment that they put in there to kind of build up to maybe the season's end where, like, Boba's at, like, full strength and, like, at his, like, most powerful, you know, riding that fucking rancor into the middle of the town and, you know, showing who the real crime boss is. Maybe then we'll get our um, arm rip quota for this show. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here's to hoping. But tune in next week for our next breakdown of the Book of Boba Fett. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Perhaps our sponsor, BetterHelp.com, is the service for you. BetterHelp is professional counseling, and it's all done securely online. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches with a counselor that fits your needs. These are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, anxiety, and relationships, to sleeping trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, and grief and self-esteem. This is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling with the convenience to send a message to your counselor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And you can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in under 48 hours. And what's great about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I know that there was definitely a time in my life where I needed an outside perspective and or, you know, someone who would just hear me out and that's the kind of counseling you can get from BetterHelp. and i love that there's no uncomfortable waiting rooms in fact the service is available for clients worldwide also it's free to change counselors if needed but don't just take our word for it check out the testimonials posted daily on their site damon i've heard so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states we want you to start living a happier life today as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com slash listener. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener and get 10% off your first month today. That's BetterHelp.com slash listener. Help is just a click away. But with all that said, it's now time for the amazing nerd show's most anticipated films of 2022. Now loading up the film calendar for 2022. Here is the amazing nerd show's most anticipated films for the year. 
Alright, so with 2022 finally upon us, the new year brings us a brand new slate of films to look forward to. From some familiar horror classics, to be just jam-packed with offerings from the superhero genre, especially with DC matching Marvel's breakneck output, 2022 is shaping up to be one of the biggest years in nerdom at the movies ever. So let's go ahead and take a look at our most anticipated films of the year. And just a reminder, this is our most anticipated films list. So if there's a film that you're excited for that you think we're missing out on, make sure you comment on any of our social media platforms. What Christian's trying to say is fuck you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> we're not hyping up your bullshit this year. And of course, we're going through this list in chronological order, but all these dates could possibly change. We're looking at you, Morbius. And now to begin with 2022's Scream. They always come back. The killer is a part of something in the past. This one just feels different. You're all in danger. Mom? Where? Sydney. Coming out this weekend, January 14th, Scream is directed by Matt Bettinelli. Open, I believe, and Tyler Gillette, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. So this is the first of many classic horror franchises returning to the theaters this year. With this actually opening up this weekend, I'm pretty excited to see what the guys from Ready or Not bring to the table. I'm just hoping this time out, this is a real passing of the torch. Uh, while part four wasn't bad by any means, it kind of just felt redundant and like we were treading water. And, you know, even if they don't fulfill my wish of seeing like the original crew like die in the first scene, I hope that like we end that chapter and kind of just start to move on at this point. I definitely don't think the crew is dying in the first scene at all in this film. A boy <laughs> can dream, Christian. <laughs> I'm just, I'm over Gail Weathers. You know, and Dewey. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> I get it, but it's just time to move on. I feel like they're almost like hindering, you know, the franchise's growth mm -hmm. at this point. So I'm also hoping Ghostface, just as a killer, really just, I don't know, ups his game this time around. Uh, he's always been kind of like the Mr. Magoo of slashers. You know, he's always <laughs> tripping and falling over himself and pretty much getting his ass handed to him. Uh, you know, with this being like a different person every time underneath the cloak, I don't feel like that should be the case. Like, I want to see Ghostface really bring his A game, you know, to this film. So, you know, something more grandiose. Well, that's exactly what we were talking about when the trailer dropped last year. You know, it's each character should be something a little bit different, a little bit stronger. Have or your own style. You know, exactly. That way you can like differentiate between all the different mm -hmm. killers, because now at this point, what there's been like six, you figure each movie has two at least. Mm -hmm. So what, like six, almost eight. Is it eight? I'm not going to do the math, whatever. But I mean, there's been a lot of them, but they shouldn't all kill the same. That doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense. So um, but yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to the film, though. I, I mean, and listen, next week, hopefully we'll have a review. Next, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Coming out February 18th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is directed by David Blue Garcia and stars Sarah Yarkin and Elsie Fisher. God, I hope this doesn't suck. 
<laughs> so this is supposed to be a direct sequel to the original a la you know halloween 2018 i guess that's the new mm-hmm. fad with horror films uh you know uh the first final girl sally is returning uh she's of course recasted since marilyn burns passed away sadly so the last couple of attempts to like revitalize the franchise has just kind of i don't know been lackluster uh, to be kind. So Fetty Alvarez is producing and he actually came up with the story. Uh, he's the guy who actually directed the remake of Evil Dead, which was actually quite good. And Don't Breathe. So hopefully he could bring the series back to its former glory. I mean, we've already seen what he can do with the chainsaw, right? <laughs> that is true. But I do hope that if they are, you know, kind of getting back to that first film, maybe they'll bring some of that grime back to the cinema because I, I feel like there's not enough films out today that kind of capture anything that feels like the original Texas Chainsaw. No, I agree. I agree. And even with the remakes uh, in the early 2000s, which I quite enjoyed, um, it was definitely missing that grit, though. It was a little too glossy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, capturing that f- feel would be ideal. Next, Uncharted. Your brother believed that there was a final piece. Well, you know my brother said? You have no idea who you partnered with. What else aren't you telling me? The victor spoils. Kind of the same day as Texas Chainsaw is Uncharted, as directed by Ruben Flesher, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Christian, I have no idea what the fuck this film's about. Is this a video game or something? Yes, the Uncharted franchise is pretty much like uh, like Indiana Jones and Nathan Fillion had a baby. You know, that's how I imagine the character being like. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, Tom Holland definitely doesn't feel like he fits that description, though. No, <laughs> but it is something that, if, you know, he pushed for as a film. You know, he talked about it in his earlier years where he's like, this should be an Uncharted film, which I, I don't know. He's Sorry, me. His whole life. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, good for him, but he still looks like he's about 14. So uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know if I buy him as the lead in an action film. I know that makes no sense since he is fucking Spider-Man, but Spider-Man's supposed to be a kid, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, this just watching this trailer it felt a little off to me. And I, I mean, you know the game, obviously. So how did you feel about it? It definitely doesn't feel like the characters from the game just yet. But I feel like we're in a weird place where the franchise has been, you know, off for a little while that maybe they can tell a different version of that same story. But yeah, he does feel too young for the role. Like I would expect someone that looks maybe, you know, mid 30s to be, you know, running around as this character. But, you know, it's just it is what it is. Basically, Marky Mark. Is that why Marky yeah. Mark's in this? <laughs> <laughs> and his character is also older and, you know, a little bit more wise. So it's just kind of like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if wise and Marky Mark go together. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Not to shit on the guy, but I'm still a little sore after watching him try to play a science teacher in The Happening. So <laughs> it's the wind, Damon. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's all about the fucking winds. Either way, you know me, I'm always looking for that next big video game movie to kind of like break the market, you know, finally work because all mm. these films just haven't hit hit that mark yet. So I'm just hoping that this one is at least good enough, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's all Christian's asking for. It's a low bar, Please. my friend, a low bar. <laughs> I like a good heist, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> next, the Batman. 
I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. Stay still! How am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Wayne. All right, coming March 4th, The Batman, as directed by Matt Reeves and starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and Paul Dano. So this is probably in my top three of most anticipated films of the year. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of story Matt Reeves chooses to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like the Riddler is going to be like digging up some skeletons in the Wayne's family past that Bruce just didn't know about. Uh, I'm definitely hoping that it leads to some kind of like Court of Owls storyline. Uh, but I mean, the trailer's dark and gritty and that's how I like my Batman. So I'm definitely a full on board. I'm a big fan of the Court of Owls storyline. So I'm definitely hoping that that's the direction we're going in. At least if they're doing multiple films that I think that's something that would be great to build upon. Yes. But, you know, I think, you know, this looks like what I would want from a Batman film. So that's why I'm mostly excited for it. I mean, we have gotten a lot of Catwoman from the most recent trailer. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like these extra characters that they're showing off are more the talking pieces to our more depressed Batman that might not talk as much in this film. So oh, that's, that's what I'm point. expecting. That is a good point. Um, but I just, I don't know, man. I'm so kind of over that whole relationship, honestly. <laughs> and I feel like we've seen it before in the past. So I was hoping that they would at least get like his feet underneath him before, you know, they tackle that storyline again. Uh -huh. But that definitely doesn't seem to be the case, uh, at least judging by the last trailer we got. But mm. who knows, that could be misleading. Uh, they're definitely not showing us everything, which I appreciate. So I don't know, I'm just really optimistic, I guess, uh, when it comes to this film, especially with the whole idea of, you know, telling a year one, year two story with a more grounded Batman and really diving into the more detective side of the character. And I will say I did get to see that first trailer again on the big screen when I went to go see Spider-Man and I, I'm still blown away by most of the cinematography, especially getting to see it in Dolby like that. Oh my God, I can't wait to see that movie come out. <laughs> uh, it looks fantastic, it really does. Mm -hmm. It feels like a Batman film should feel. Next, Morbius. What's happening? I went from dying. Feeling more alive than ever. Increased strength and speed. The ability to use echolocation. And an overpowering urge to consume blood. Coming out April 1st and directed by Daniel Espinoza and starring Jared Leto, Matt Smith, and Jared Harris. So, Christian, this film has now made our most anticipated film list three years running. Uh, yeah. <laughs> After yet another delay, who knows if this isn't some kind of elaborate, like, prank by Sony, and there isn't really a Morbius film. <laughs> I mean, the trailer, I will say, has sold me to this point. Uh, I won't lie. But, like... Part of the appeal, I think, is to see exactly what Spider-Man universe this actually like, yeah. exists in. Because <laughs> at this point, it absolutely makes no sense from what we've seen in the trailer. You know, and after everything that we saw in Spider-Man No Way Home. 
I was kind of thinking that that movie would kind of answer some of these questions with the trailer, um, you know, with like the multiverse exploding and just everything being crazy. But that's really not the case at the end of Spider-Man, you know, so like I just don't understand how Morbius seems to exist in the Venom universe, but we're seeing like, I don't know, like propaganda against Tom Holland's spider-man you know calling him a killer but at the same time mm -hmm. we're seeing this like graffiti mural with uh toby mcguire's spider-man on the wall and then michael keaton's vulture is showing up who's in the mc i, I don't get it <laughs> what the fuck's going on here so uh but you know it's sony so we might not even get an explanation honestly but yeah. I, I did think the film looked pretty cool I mean, it seems interesting. The CGI seemed kind of cool, like they, how they set him up and makes him look like a vampire as he's running through the air and stuff. So It's an incredibly dark, complicated character. So mm -hmm. there is a great story to really dive into. And Jared Leto's a fantastic actor. So um, I don't know, but it's Sony once again. And we saw what they did yeah. with Venom. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I know I'm just setting myself up for, like, disappointment, but I guess I'm a sucker. No, I'm, I'm keeping my expectations low, at least. <laughs> That's probably wise. Next, the Northman. Coming April 22nd and directed by Robert Eggers, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicole Kidman, among other big stars in this film. I love Vikings and I love revenge films. Yes. So like <laughs> when you throw in like the visionary folk horror director Robert Eggers, like how could this film possibly not be awesome? I mean, after The Witch and, you know, Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' name being attached gets me in the theater at this point. And I'm hoping he goes a little nuts with this vengeance tale. Like, I hope there's, you know, plenty of blood and gore. Especially, you know, we've we seen how Alexander Skarsgård can be when he's, like, in full action mode. So I'm excited to see how this film goes. I'm excited to see Skarsgård in a starring role. Yes. I know he was part of that Stan series. But, I mean, you know, it, when True Blood was on, it felt like he should be, like, the breakout star of that series. Mm. But that didn't really seem to be the case. Um, and I don't know why, because he's super talented, and I mean, he looks like a million bucks. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it just, it feels like he should be a bigger star at this point. You know, but it just doesn't seem like he's been getting the opportunities, maybe? I don't know, but maybe this one can be a big break for him. Yeah, because he's never been in, like, the MCU, right? No, Or, not or even, like, a Star Wars film. Not that that's the end-all be-all, but it just feels like one because he looks like a fucking, you know, super villain or superhero. So we know he's got the acting chops. It just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe I'm just not watching the right movies and he's all over the place. It just feels like we should be hearing more from him or seeing more from him. Exactly. Like, he would have made a great Adam Warlock, not to put anything past Will Poulter, but I could totally have pictured that. No, I could see that. Absolutely. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. 
Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Start off 2022 right by rocking your package high and tight. Let all past regrets go along with your pubes as that countdown clock strikes midnight. It's New Year, New Me with global leaders in below the waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land that 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs as a free gift to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped, solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine. But in the shower, I shower every day and hope you do too. This body wash smells great too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code 20amazing. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. Next, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Why? tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. It was the only way. Coming in with the summer blockbusters. This one comes out May 6th, directed by Sam Raimi and starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, and Benedict Wong. So this is definitely, I think, my number one most anticipated film of the year. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the rumors are absolutely insane when it comes to this movie, especially with the multiverse theme running rampant, you know, all of last year throughout the series and, you know, obviously Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, but, I mean... Can this like live up to the hype? I, I'm not quite sure because right now, I mean, we're hearing a different rumor every day because even with all the possible like earth shattering reveals and big debuts at the core, the film still has to like deliver a coherent mm -hmm. story. <laughs> 
that has substance. And I just feel like if everyone gets their wish list, you know, of what they want to see in this film, that's not going to be the case at all. But I guess after Spider-Man No Way Home, who could blame them for dreaming big? Yeah, I, I don't blame them. But at the same time, I want the characters that they've already shown off in the trailer to be heavily focused on at least at the core of the story because i don't want them to you know do america chavez wrong i want wanda to have a decent story in this where if she is the villain of this it makes sense and it's not just like thrown in last second where she's you know oh yeah she's been messing with everything all along you know at the very end you know i i just hope mm. it's all well handled and not you know too much fan service because i mean we did hear about reshoots where they could have possibly been adding a bunch of extra stuff now afterwards yeah yeah but i mean we've also heard that that's very typical of True. mcu films so and a lot of that was covid related with like schedules and everything mm. uh but yeah i mean this is the follow-up to wandavision which i mean everyone loves so i mean there's a lot writing on this film but if anyone could pull it off it's Sam Raimi. So, and I'm really excited to see him part of the MCU now. You know, as long as he doesn't pull a Spider-Man 3 and we don't have everyone just dancing down sidewalks, you know, because he's disgruntled. You had to fucking bring up Spider-Man <laughs> 3, Of course I you? do. <laughs> <laughs> like, they go to a whole, like, universe where everyone is fucking dancing uh -huh. in cafes and shit. You get a huge musical number. Uh -huh. I might I might actually be down for that. <laughs> Next, the black phone. Hang on! Tree, the door, the gate. I'd never seen it before except in my dreams. You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. You raise the phone, step back, and swing. Look what you made me do. Please hurry. You remember what I told you? This someday I should stand up for myself. Someday is today, Finn. Coming out June 24th, directed by Scott Derrickson and starring Ethan Hawke. Well, speaking of Doctor Strange, uh, you know, he directed the first film and this is, you know, his first film after leaving uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness over uh, creative differences. Uh, he's definitely getting back to his horror roots here. Uh, he also directed Sinister, which I loved, and uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose. So I thought this trailer looked fantastic. It shows you a little too much, though, for my mm -hmm. taste. Uh, like, I don't need to see how they're going to end up solving the fucking case, right? <laughs> but yeah, we've got a child killer on the loose. Uh, we've got some supernatural elements happening uh fucking creepy ass mask uh actually created and designed by tom savini uh and this is all based on a uh joe hill short story uh stephen king's son oh, okay but it has all the right ingredients to being one of the better horror films we get this year uh and i mean if you think about it it's one of the only original horror films we're getting because our list is filled with sequels and remakes uh, and that's not to say that's not going to change throughout the year, because there's a lot of films that are coming out that we probably just don't know about at this point. But yeah, I mean, it's always good to have an original horror film out there. And that mask is creepy as all hell. I do think Ethan Hawke is going to have a memorable character in this film, as I'm already, you know, I've you know, I see it all the time. I don't even have to like look at this trailer to know, you know, what this character is so far. I did I did have a problem with the kid, you know, at the beginning of the trailer saying, you know, hey, I'm scared of this guy, and then immediately getting captured by him. But everything else <laughs> Let me get it to his van. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
whatever. It, it, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> it, 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 I think it takes place in the 80s. Uh-huh. Kids were naive back then. Trust me. I was one of them. <laughs> Wouldn't take much to get me in the back oh, of a van. You know, like a candy bar or something. <laughs> Maybe a Nintendo game. I feel like Ethan Hawke also is an actor who doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he really carried Sinister yes. on his back. Absolutely. And made that film the classic that it is mm. nowadays. I mean, 90% of like the scares in that movie is just watching him react to things he's watching on video. So, and it'll be kind of cool to see him play the villain. Yes. Next, for Love and Thunder. Coming July 8th, directed by Taika Waititi and starring Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman, and I imagine we'll see Taika in his famous role of Korg in this film as well. So Thor Ragnarok, is probably like one of my top five MCU films of all time. So I'm really excited for this movie. I am concerned a little though, because I love the whole Jane Foster storyline. And I mean, you know, just knowing that we have like the Guardians of the Galaxy in this film also, I'm just worried that they're not going to give it like it's just due. Um, Because it's a pretty heavy storyline also. Mm -hmm. So thematically you know what we got from (laughs) ragnarok i'm interested to see how they kind of like juggle that kind of you know serious tone if they go that route i just really want to see them do right by jane's character um because it is an amazing story so while this is one of my most anticipated films of the year obviously i'm also really nervous about it i mean like you said this is a jam-packed cast with all the Guardians being in it and everything like that. I'm hoping that the Guardians maybe are just a one-act player in this film. Maybe they're here for a minute and they leave. Yeah, because the last time we saw Thor, he was with the Guardians. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're just putting a bow on that chapter and transitioning, you know, to the next one. And don't forget, I mean, Christian Bale is also in this uh, film as the, you know, villain. So that's pretty cool that we're going to see Christian Bale in the MCU. He's Gore the God Butcher which I know shit about, yeah. so <laughs> don't ask me anything, Christian. But it's an incredibly metal name. Yes. <laughs> Bravo to whoever came up with that character. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, you know, Valkyrie's doing with that village. And maybe if, you know, they pull out some type of call that might lead to that world needing a new version of Thor, you know, someone with that That's ability. That's right, because she's, she's now the king of Asgard, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so who knows how that's all going to play out. It's a lot of moving parts, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but, I mean, that's very typical nowadays of a, a Marvel yes. film, so and they seem to pull it off, you know, film after film. <laughs> Next, Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore. The world as we know it is coming undone. Grindelwald is pulling it apart with hate. If we're to defeat him, you'll have to trust me. Coming out July 15th and directed by David Yates, starring Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law, Ezra Miller, and Mads Mikkelsen. All right, man. Well, this is all you. You know I'm a muggle, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I'm interested in what they're going to do with this story. I wasn't a big fan of the last film um, that came out. I just, it felt a little all over the place. 
but there's a lot of interesting ways to go with this story and we have no idea what kind of secrets of the Dumbledore family will be getting into you know um, yeah, he's got a very hardcore past so we'll see what happens in here and we're exploring more of the world of wizarding so I mean we're gonna be seeing Brazil for the very first time so this should be interesting when we get into it wizards gonna wizard man yeah <laughs> Sorry. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to offer to this discussion. Next. Nope. Coming out July 22nd and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya, and Steve Yoon. And that's pretty much all we know about this film, except a pretty cool poster. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, it's Jordan Peele, so he's a director like Robert Eggers, where if he's attached to a project... I'm definitely on board. I mean, if it's anything like his past works, I'm on board as well. So <laughs> hopefully we get some details soon. Next, Black Adam. With a July 29th release, this is directed by Wame Collect Sarah and starring Dwayne Johnson and Pierce Brosnan. So, man, we've been hearing about this film for like a decade or something. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's cool that it's finally here. Uh, Black Adam is an incredibly complex character. So I'm interested to see how they translate him from the comics, you know, to a film. Uh are they going to allow him to be as hardcore and ruthless, you know, as he is in those panels? But from what we got from that little tiny teaser clip uh, at DC Fandom, that does seem to be the case, at least right now. But that's all we really, you know, seen from the film, except a bunch of really cool, like, concept art of, like, the Justice, you know, society, um, who are definitely a big part of this film. I mean, I think you got more than half the team at this point. We got Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Brosnan, which feels like just amazing casting, which we're also mm -hmm. getting the likes of Hawkman, Cyclone, Atom Smasher, which when this project was first announced, like I never dreamt we're gonna be getting, <laughs> you know, basically a low-key Justice Society film. Uh, I'm just curious too, to see like, you know, do we get a cameo? from like Shazam here? Or do we save that for the sequel? If anything, it'll be an after credits or something late in the film. I wouldn't imagine, you know, Zachary Levi's um, Shazam being a part of this film, especially with how hardcore it seems to be with the action, so. I mean, but both characters' histories are so like intertwined. Yes. It feels like they have to eventually like go down that route. But I think you're probably right. They'll probably hold off, you know, to a sequel or maybe have, you know, the Rock show up in the next Shazam film, which I think is happening next year. I mean, I already said that teaser trailer out Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat, so I'm I'm interested to see where they're going to go with these effects and how the story could play out. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, they saw a lot of success in the violence of Suicide Squad, so maybe they're just going to go balls to the wall with this one. Yeah, and this is definitely a passion project for The Rock. You know, not mm -hmm. many actors would stick around all the pre-production nightmares that this film has yes. like dealt with <laughs> so i mean good on him and you know hopefully it's all worthwhile next salem's lot 
Coming September 9th, directed by Gary Doberman and starring Lewis Pullman, Mackenzie Lay, and Bill Camp. So if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of the original, you know, miniseries Salem Lot. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite adaptations of Stephen King's work. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, hurt that it's directed by the late, great Toby Hooper. So with that being said, this film has a lot to live up to. Uh Oh, Gary Doberman, he actually uh, co-wrote, I believe, It. Uh, he's been a big part of the Conjuring universe. I believe he wrote a lot of the spin-off films like Annabelle and The Nun. Uh, and he even directed one of the Annabelle movies. So, and I know it was his first film, but I, I definitely hope he's upped his game because that definitely wasn't, you know, one of the better films of the series. I'm also interested to see if they go the route of It. Um, you know, the original uh, Salem's Lot was a two-part miniseries, you know, made for TV. So I think it was about like three or four hours long. Um, there's a lot of story there to tell, so they might be better suited to do like a part one, part two. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that's always more desirable in their eyes, right? It's something that they can make a franchise out of. Let's just do it that way. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, but like we've been saying, you know, there's a disturbingly low amount of vampire content out nowadays, especially after the wake of those terrible Twilight movies. So, I mean, I, I could see this becoming something interesting for people to actually finally get back into vampires. No, you're absolutely right. And I hope they go the exact opposite direction of Twilight and they give yes. us like the <laughs> <laughs> you know, the classic Barlow look that we got from the original. Uh, in the mm -hmm. books, I believe he's described quite different than what, like, Toby Hooper chose to give us. He made Barlow uh, Nosferatu-like. But, I mean, regardless of what they do, it's got to be better than that Rob Lowe, like, late 90s remake that they did. So, <laughs> but knock on wood. Next, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Coming out October 7th and directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, starring Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, and Oscar Isaacs. So yes, the sequel to probably my second favorite Spider-Man film of all time, honestly. Um, so there's a lot riding on this. I love Miles and I love, you know, the story that they told in the first film. Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that they can recapture that magic. Uh, from the trailer that we saw, I mean, we're going to be getting that awesome stylized animation that we got from the first film. I did mention, though, previously when we did our trailer reaction for it that I'm a little, I don't know, less than enthused about their inclusion of Spider-Man 2099. I'm just not a huge fan of the character, um, but I mean... Who knows? I mean, he, at the end of this film, you might end up being my favorite character. You know, one of my favorite Spider-Men of all time. So, uh, and Oscar Isaac is a great actor. So I'm sure he's going to bring out the best of Miguel O'Hare. I'm also looking forward to uh, Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman being a big part of the film because mm. she's a character who just hasn't gotten enough spotlight, which is strange. And I'm honestly surprised that it's taken this long for her to show up on the big screen. I'm just hoping that fans aren't going to be suffering from like multiverse like fatigue at this point, though. It just depends on how wild they get with the story. I mean, it definitely. I mean, Miles is finally going out into the multiverse himself this time around. So, I mean, it will be probably a little bit more wonky. And I do know that we want 
more of a solo story for Miles, but you know, it's Sony, they're not gonna take too many risks here. When they have something that was so successful, they're definitely gonna wanna build off of that. No, and actually this is a case where I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the film did win a fucking Oscar, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in the future, I would love to see a solo Miles story, you know, an animated story. And of course, mm. you know, eventually, you know, the debut of him live action form in the MCU, which I'm sure is going to be happening sooner than later. Next, Halloween ends. Coming out October 14th, directed by David Gordon Green and starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Gere, and Andy Matichok. Isn't Judy Gere's character dead? <laughs> Maybe it's going to be flashbacks. I don't know. I guess. So I definitely begrudgingly put this on the list. <laughs> Because once again, I'm a fucking sucker. Um, even though I wasn't a huge fan of what they did in Halloween 2018, I still was incredibly looking forward to Halloween Kills. And even though I was even more disappointed <laughs> with Halloween Kills, I'm still, for some reason, looking forward to Halloween ends. I just love me some Michael Myers. I can't help it. I'm just hoping they find a way to pull up the nose you know, and stick the landing here. Because regardless how I felt about Halloween 2018, it had a lot of potential where, you know, Halloween kills, all that went out the fucking window. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they can write the course and kind of get back with the original concept they had going, you know, especially with Lori and Michael, um, and just really leave the franchise in good shape, no pun intended. Uh, you know, for whatever's coming in the future. I mean, I guess I want to see how the story at least ends at this point, but I'm I'm not as thrilled, especially after watching the second one. So I no. don't know. Spoilers: <laughs> Lori probably kills Michael and dies doing so. Just saying. probably. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about how they get to that moment, right? Uh, <laughs> That's my guess. I just hope that they get away from all the bad fan service that they did in you know halloween kills like we don't need to see a 90 year old sheriff bracket you know try to <laughs> you know kill michael myers in the middle of the street like just you know tell your story we don't need all these glorified cameos just tell us a good story that really lives up to the legacy of john carpenter's original film next the flash tell me something you can go anywhere you want, right? Any timeline, any universe. Why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Alright, coming November 4th, directed by Andy Muschietti and starring Ezra Miller, Ben Affleck, and Michael Keaton returning as Batman. So I really enjoy Ezra Miller as The Flash, and I love the idea of them doing a Flashpoint-like storyline uh, with the multiverse. I'm just hoping that people aren't exhausted by the multiverse at this point, especially with mm. everything we're getting you know, from the other side, especially with everything we're getting from Marvel. Um, you know, because this is well after Multiverse of Madness. Batman, you know, 89 is one of my all-time favorite films. So I love the fact that Michael Keaton's getting his 
you know, chance to reprise the role, you know, of Bruce Wayne here. Um, he'll always be my Batman, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> I really want to see if they're going to try to, I don't know, streamline the DC universe with this film or if they're just going to break it wide open and if they're not going to worry anymore about continuity, you know, and, you know, world building, you know, just, you know, focus on individual stories, you know, and making those films good. And, you know, whatever's happening outside is happening outside of them. I mean, for me, it unless DC and Warner Brothers has an actual plan for like a future of, you know, Justice League films and team ups and stuff like that. I see no reason for them not to just, you know, leave it here where you have this open story now where, you know, these characters can show up in each other's universes if they want to, but we'll definitely focus more on individual stories like you're saying. I think that would be the better path for them right now until they come up with something that might bring everything together. There's nothing wrong with just focusing on making good films. No. You know, <laughs> you, you know be DC. Don't worry about trying to be Marvel, you know? Yes. And just by looking at what's happening in future projects, it definitely feels like continuity is like burst wide open because we have Michael Keaton's Batman, not only in the Batgirl film, but also in uh, uh, the Supergirl series. So <laughs> I don't know how all that works. Um, yeah. because it definitely <laughs> felt like Batgirl was going to be part kind of, of that Snyderverse, but we know that Supergirl is debuting in this flash film here. So I don't know, man, <laughs> there's still a lot of things to figure out, but let's just hope that it's all wrapped up in uh, around a good story. Next black Panther Wakanda forever. Well, coming November 11th, directed by Ryan Coogler, starring Letitia Wright, Denai Guerrero, and Lupita Nyong'o. So, I mean, just like Thor Love and Thunder, uh, you know, the Black Panther sequel is a, a film I'm looking forward to, but also extremely nervous about, because it's going to be such a challenge to give us a story that honors Chadwick Boseman, you know, T'Challa, and at the same time, you know, set a new course, you know, for this universe that they built. Mm -hmm. But I mean, director Ryan Coogler is more than up to the task. Uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that they choose wisely when they pick the next character to carry on the Black Panther mantle. And maybe that doesn't happen, you know, in this film. Maybe that's a story that they tease, you know, for the next film. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I just don't know what story they want to tell in this film. I, I don't know if they're going to, you know, spread it across the board, focus on multiple characters doing different journeys or what they're going to do. Uh, if it if this is just a build up to the next, you know, Black Panther in the MCU, I, I, I just don't know yet. It's so up in the air and I'm, I'm very scared if it doesn't land, you know, well with the audience audiences and stuff like that, because the first film just did so much for the MCU and was such a big moment for superhero films. Exactly, because, you know, Shuri should be, you know, the next Black Panther. I mean, that's how it kind of plays out in the comics. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel like the character, though, in the films is in the right place for that. But maybe they tell like a coming of age, you know, story, you know, for Shuri. Um, and, you know, they choose to go that route. 
I want to know how much the outside world is going to have like an influence in like Wakanda at this point now that everyone knows that of its existence and if they've been doing anything to play a part to the rest of the, you know, MCU and stuff like that. Uh, I think it'd be pretty interesting to tell that story as well. Yeah. And we haven't seen what Wakanda's like, you know, post, you know, snap. Yes. You know, were they affected the same way as the rest of the universe? And how did they deal with all that? Mm -hmm. But regardless, Black Panther is one of my favorite Marvel films. So I'm really hoping that they can find a way to carry on, you know, Chadwick's legacy. And but at the same time, you know, really setting on a new course, because unfortunately they have to. Next, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Coming out December 16th, directed by James Wan and starring Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, and Patrick Wilson. Well, on a much lighter note, <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that we get more sea creatures playing musical instruments, Christian, from this film. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I want to see a whole band of octopuses. I or, don't. Or octopi? <laughs> Is it octopi or octopuses? I don't know how that works. But anyway, regardless, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with the with the first film. I know you weren't the biggest fan, but, you know, I love what James Wan did with it. And really what it boils down to was, you know, just have a good time, right? Like he just embraced, you know, the comic book of it all, you know, when it comes to a character like Aquaman. I'm really hoping that they focus on Black Manta as the main villain this time around. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, he was a big part of the first film, but he definitely felt like more of a side character. Um, but it really felt like a setup, you know, for the sequel and for him to really, you know, take center stage. So um, I'm also hoping that his helmet's bigger than ever. <laughs> I mean, Christian, come on, man. Like, you wouldn't pop for, like, a seahorse playing a saxophone or something? Uh, no. Maybe, like, the creation of a staff or something. That's more my speed. <laughs> not not a, not a seahorse. Oh, God. <laughs> maybe you were, like, a blacksmith back in the day. Maybe. You know, it's possible. It'd just be weird that you're, like, reincarnated as skillless now. Wow. <laughs> I, I hope there's someone that's like writing down all the burns you know <laughs> tally that shit up but all right the rest of the list consists of films without a date just yet yes to be determined so hopefully they're going to be actually be coming out this year knock on wood next evil dead rises directed by lee cronin and starring Alyssa sutherland lily sullivan and morgan davies so yes, this is another horror film, uh, just like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I, I think we actually failed to mention this, that's going straight to a streaming service. Texas Chainsaw oh, okay. Massacre is going straight to Netflix, and Evil Dead Rises will be premiering on HBO Max. It's really hard to picture an ashless Evil Dead film, and I know we kind of got that with the Evil Dead remake um, from Fetty Alvarez, but... Um, it's nice to know that, you know, he's definitely involved producing along with Sam Raimi. Um, I like the concept. It's going to actually be taking place in a city, uh, which is something that we've never seen from the franchise before. I mean, obviously, it's your classic Cabin in the Woods film, typically. But just imagine the chaos that, you know, the Deadites can, you know, reign on a city. Probably Resident Evil levels of chaos. Well, hopefully better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
obviously they should start in S marked. I think that would be a, a fun callback. It would definitely make sense. So it really does sound like they're trying to almost reinvent this series for a new generation of fans, but at the same time, like honor, you know, the legacy of the franchise, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, uh, which is kind of the best of both worlds. I just really hope that they're able to capture the tone of, you know, the original trilogy. Um, and I think that was my one issue with uh, what Alvarez did with his Evil Dead film. It didn't feel like an Evil Dead film to me. You know, it felt like a great horror film, but it just didn't feel like it belonged in the same universe as, you know, Sam Raimi movies. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it didn't get to that point till maybe like the end where it's just a blood fest out of nowhere, you know, by the like final scene. But even then, you know, it, it still wasn't that same, you know, fun character of Ash. Yes. And it took itself way more serious. I mean, we didn't have any of the, you know, three stooges psych gags and <laughs> all the slapstick humor. Uh-huh. So as a hardcore Evil Dead fan, I was definitely missing all those elements. Next, Disappointment Boulevard. All right, this film is set to be directed by Ari Aster, and it's starring Joaquin Phoenix. So once again, just like Robert Eggers and Jordan Peele, Ari Aster is also that kind of director that sells you a ticket just solely based on his name being attached to a film. And that's exactly why Disappointment Boulevard is on our list, because we have no details whatsoever on this movie. All we know is it's a horror comedy follow-up to Midsummer. So uh, whatever that means. But Joaquin Phoenix and Ari Aster feel like the perfect marriage between director and actor. So I can't wait to see what they deliver. No, I'm I'm already terrified just thinking of them working together, let alone sitting in a theater and watching this thing. So I'm, I'm excited for whatever they bring us. You got to at least watch an Ari Aster film once, right? <laughs> Absolutely. At least once. Uh, and hopefully you're not too traumatized to, you know, watch it again. <laughs> did you ever open up your uh, Midsummer? <laughs> yes, I DVD? did eventually. I did eventually okay. rewatch it. So. <laughs> but I've only seen Hereditary twice. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that fucking film. <laughs> I'm just super curious to see what an Ari Aster comedy looks like, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's not going to actually be very funny. Next, Hellraiser. Uh, This one's going to be directed by David Bruckner, and it's starring Jamie Clayton. First of all, I love the fact that Clive Barker is on board as a producer. Hopefully it's not just in name that he gets to be hands-on, you know, with his creation. Uh, David Bruckner is an incredibly talented director. If you listened to last episode, you know he directed uh, my favorite horror film of last year, The Night House. So I can't wait to see what he brings to the Hellraiser mythos. This is actually the third horror franchise that's going to be going straight to a streaming service. Um, This is going to be premiering on Hulu, but I feel like that's not going to reflect at all on the quality of the film. And I feel like a lot of these, you know, franchises are choosing to do that just because of the uncertainty, you know, of the time that we live in with COVID and everything. Nevertheless, I think it's time to get a new version of Hellraiser out there. I mean, it's when was the last one that came out? I don't know. There's been so many like direct to DVD Uh sequels. (laughs) I think the last film that went actually into theaters was Bloodlines. That's a pinhead in space 
uh, which yeah. is actually an underrated film. I will defend <laughs> Bloodlines. But, I mean, there's been at least, I think, like, four films since that, if not more. They've really been trying to get the series back on track for a long time. Uh, and hopefully they're able to pull it off here. Because I'm pretty sure I'm still traumatized from the first film when I saw it at, like, the tender age of nine years old. And I want a whole new generation of nine-year-olds to have that same experience. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh -huh. <laughs> Gotta be at least 12 to see this film, I think. <laughs> sure, sure. That's the age. Your parents do not take your child to see Hellraiser. Please. Do not stream it for them either. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. Because it's really going to be just, at, you know, at their fingertips at this point. Because let me tell you, nine-year-old Damon would definitely find a way to see this film. D did you seek the trauma? <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember me and my friend begging his older brother to rent this film for us. Mm. Uh, because at the local mom pop store, we would stare at the cover, the VHS cover, you know, all the time whenever we were in there. So... Um, it was a big day when he finally rented it for us. And man, did we pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Weeks of nightmares, if not years. Oh, but those were the wonderful, innocent 80s. <laughs> where we didn't have a million studies of the psychological effects on a child, you know, watching a movie like Hellraiser. Well, Damon, if you want to discuss this further, you should check out our sponsor, BetterHelp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christian, it's far too late for that. <laughs> have you seen my basement? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Next, Batgirl. Being directed by Adil L. Arby and Bilal Falal. I apologize if I'm saying those incorrectly. But it's also set to star Michael Keaton, Brendan Fraser, and Leslie Grace as Batgirl, of course. We actually originally forgot to add this one to our list, but a couple hours ago, Leslie Grace shared the first images of her in her Batgirl suit, which, of course, jogged our memories of this film coming out this year. But to get into the suit itself, it looks straight off the cover of one of the Cameron Stewart and Company runs of Batgirl, which I appreciate. You know, I had a feeling that they might do maybe something more of like the Arkham Batgirl, but they kept it simple with the original Batgirl look from the comics. Leslie Grace in her post of the suit also quoted a line from Batgirl Year One. So I figure we can speculate a little bit that, you know, this might be just more of an origin story type of film rather than them jumping in the middle of her Bat family career instead of like what we got with the recent Spider-Man films where we didn't see day one of him getting bit by the spider. But again, as we brought up earlier when we were talking about the Flash movie coming out this year, Michael Keaton is a part of this project as well. So who knows what the continuity of this universe really is, if they actually are building a universe or if this is just gonna be all open storytelling because on top of that this film does feature Justice League's Gordon in J.K. Simmons reprising his role so this year will definitely be you know the formative year for DC in general we'll see what they're really bringing to the table and also just like several others on our list this film is going straight to streaming as it will be exclusive to HBO Max on its release that's actually going to do it for our list but like we said at the top there's probably a few movies that we missed and a few movies that we don't even know about at this point so but make sure to stay tuned to the show because we plan on reviewing all these films throughout the year and more. And don't forget to leave your most anticipated film list uh, at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, 
Make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, we'll be breaking down, of course, the next chapter in Book of Boba Fett, and we'll be giving our initial thoughts on the new Peacemaker series over on HBO Max. And of course, we'll be back to all of our regularly scheduled programming. That means news will be back. Christian's Corner is going to be back. I'm going to be breaking down some of the games coming out this year. And of course, some good old-fashioned wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it.